On this episode of the 2X e-commerce podcast show, I speak with the founder and CEO of a data-driven e-commerce marketing platform called Ometria. I quiz him about how to go about scaling a mid-tier e-commerce business by having a better understanding of each customer in order to send them a more personalized yet automated set of messages and offers. Do stay tuned. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2 x their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. Hi, 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show, I'm your host, Kune Campbell, and this is the e-commerce podcast show dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. Now, this is not an enterprise, neither is it for micro retailers. This show is geared to helping ambitious online retailers looking at scaling by 2x, 3x, or even 10x. I handpick the guests that come on this show to share their expertise and experience, and my criteria is based on one question. Can my guest provide valuable information and insights to help you, my fellow listeners, grow metrics such as your conversions, your average order value, repeat customers, traffic, and automate these sales? If they can, then I try my best to get them on the show. Today's show is particularly quite interesting. This is because if you're signed up to my newsletter, you know how I bang on about repeat customers being fundamental to achieving e-commerce success and how repeat customers are truly the lifeblood of most e-commerce businesses. Today's guest is a very special or clever individual. He attended the most prestigious independent senior school or high school in the UK called Eton College by academic merit. He has a British mentor IQ of 175, studied mathematics at Cambridge University. And whilst at Cambridge, he joined and was president of Cambridge University's Technology and Enterprise Club. That is where he learned how to build and grow scalable tech startups. Upon graduating, he launched this business called Ometra, where he's one of four co-founders. Ometra is a predictive e-commerce marketing platform that helps mid-tier retailers drive and increase customer retention by helping them identify their hero customers, repeat versus new customers, lapse in periods between sales, key customer retention metrics at both the granular customer level as well as in segments and holistically. After the identification of these metrics, it can segment your database and send highly customized and targeted messages to each customer. This is a special episode for those of you really interested in improving customer retention. So grab your pens and notepads and be prepared to take loads of notes. (music) 
Ivan Mazur is a London-based serial entrepreneur, investor, author, and the founder and CEO of Ametra, a predictive e-commerce marketing platform that helps mid-tier e-tailers, just like yourselves, build data-driven customer acquisition and retention strategy. He is the founding partner of Innova Capital, uh, an early-stage VC firm investing in UK-based technology startups. Um, so I'm going to, first of all, Welcome you. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Ivan. Um, could you take a minute or two to tell our listeners a bit about yourself? Thanks for having me on the show, Kunlan. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to, uh, to, to talk to you now right now about uh, e-commerce marketing strategies and about what, what I've learned over the last couple of years about how the, the best online retailers really do grow extremely quickly. Mm. Um, I guess I'm, I'm a, a Russian-born but London-based entrepreneur. I came here when I was eight years old. My my mother decided that the best possible education would be in the UK. Both my parents had PhDs, so I was always focused on academia. And my mother's PhD was in mathematics. So for her, the pinnacle of achievement was to study mathematics at Cambridge. And so she brought me here to do that. And, and 10 years later, I did. But academia wasn't, wasn't quite what I, I guess I saw myself doing. So for the last uh, uh, almost a decade, really, I have been starting a number of companies and Ametria is by far the, the biggest of all the things that I've ever done. Um, let's, take, let's take a step back on um, sure. your background, because I was on your website, your personal website. If you guys are listening, it's ivanmasore.com. I would link to it in the show notes, and I was on your about page. Um, you came into England. Um, you, you went to Eton. That's the best I, school in, in the country. I did. I did. So actually, there was a really long process to get there. So when I came, I was eight years old. I basically didn't speak English. I, I sort of knew a few words. So I went to a school called International Community School, um, where none of us spoke English. So that was good. And slowly but surely started to sort of pick up the language, pick up some of the subjects that we didn't study in Russia, like French. By the time I came, everyone here was already studying French and stuff. And then my mother, again, was, was smart enough to realize that actually the, the kind of the, the main British education was the way to go and that the sort of international education was unlikely to get me into, into Cambridge. So she fought for a very long time while I was there sort of studying away. She fought to finally get me into a school called Westminster Underschool. I came in there at the age of 11 when they didn't normally have a sort of a take-in. And then for the next two years between 11 and 13... I, I basically did nothing but study because I had to learn Latin and ancient Greek in two years in order to, uh, to get into, into Ethan. And I, I was the first Russian king scholar. So obviously there's lots of people of Russian descent and so on, but I was the first person to get a king scholarship that was actually sort of Russian straight from Russia, you know, mm -hmm. as fresh of the boat as it gets basically to get a king scholarship at Ethan. Um, ended up going there at the age of 13, had uh, a sort of a, a crazy five years of, I guess, becoming part of this this immensely established you know historical school and academic establishment met some great friends uh, learned some amazing things uh, did did six a levels at the time when people were doing only three um, just to really make sure that i would I would get to where I wanted um, and and finally got accepted by Gun College Cambridge to go and study math up there and you you, for, you forgot to mention you were you're an author already by by eleven or twelve. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I've, I've always liked to write. As you can see by my blog, I, I mean, I'm writing all the time now as well. It's, it's hard because my focus is a metric, so there's, there's little time. I, um, I'm doing less and less writing as, as the company gets bigger and bigger. Um, but I did write a children's book, actually a series of children's books. Um, I got through three of a much bigger series that I had planned, but then I basically ran out of, of time had to study all those things that I was talking about. Um, but the, the three books were very cool. They were basically by a child for children. Um, and I guess the, the coolest thing about all of this is actually the, um, they were used at one point as an educational tool in a whole range of schools in California. This is, you know, a lot, this is like 20 years ago now we're talking, but it was, it was actually used as a resource, which, which was amazing because really? one, one was about Siberia, one was about, uh, the sort of flora and fauna under the sea, uh, and one was about space and, you know, inspiring kids to, to think about what's possible out there. Remarkable. And then further down, um, well, further in your life, you, you wrote another book, um, Russian Convoys, Memories of the Heart. That's how, right. How, how old, how old were you at the time when you were? That's right. That's right. That was, that was recent, actually. That came out, if I remember correctly, in 2009. So okay. that would have been about five years ago. I would have been out at 25. So there, my, my passion was to, to try and see where, so I, I feel like I'm from two countries. I'm from the UK because mm -hmm. I spent my life here, but I am, you know, Russian by birth. My, my parents are very much Russian. I, I, I feel connected to, to the kind of the, the country of my birth. Um, and I actually wanted to see whether there was some point in the history of both of our countries where really we worked very closely together. We were tied together as nations. And actually, in, in everything that I researched, the Lend-Lease program of World War II was that time. It was a time when, you know, the, the United Kingdom, rather, you know, Britain was helping out the, the Soviet Union in order for the, um, for the military offense and defense on, on the other side of the war, uh, to not fail, to not fall down. And, mm. you know, Russia is a massive country and we had a lot of people, but we didn't have the technology, we didn't have the equipment. Um, and Britain provided that support. But what was fascinating was interviewing all of the, the different individual veterans because, mm. you know, they're all very, very old. They're all, barely able to describe what happened. And these are the final years to be able to get the story directly from them and be able to put it in, in a book like this. Um, and actually, after my book came out, there was an amazing TV show, which was nothing to do with my book, but there was an amazing uh, BBC documentary about the same thing where, again, the same veterans were interviewed. And I, and I remember an amazing moment where, I think this was 2010 now, where a large number of veterans were, were given medals and they mm. were presented on the HMS Belfast. And my book was actually presented to them wow. alongside the, the, the medal, which was wow. just, you know, inspiring. Well done. Well done on that. I just wanted to, to give the listeners a bit of context about um, who you are. And you're also a founder of several successful businesses, um, some in real estate, some software. And Ometra is your new thing. So um, could you tell us um, more about Ometra? You're London-based. Looking at your profile, um, you've received $2.6 million worth of funding in three rounds, according to your Crunchbase um, profile. So, so what exactly is Ometra? I was a bit confused because I had Tristan sure. Handy from um, RJ Metrics on here. And I thought oh, that's like one of my most insightful interviews with regards to just growth in e-commerce. And I was like, okay, what sort of similar companies in, in, in the landscape are there? Um, and, and then Ometra popped up. By the way, Ometra has been popping up on, on my radar for a while, mm -hmm. over the last year and a half, I think. So, mm -hmm. um, yes, please tell um, our listeners about Ometra and um, why you think there's a gap for mid-tier e-tailers, um, which Ometra is going to sort of fill. 
Well, I mean, first of all, I'm really, really glad to hear that that Ametri has been popping up on your radar for the last couple of years. So we started um, just over two years ago. We started mm-hmm. February 2013. I'd um, I'd just gone back to Cambridge to do another year. I basically decided after after starting a number of businesses in uh, in real estate and in education, I, I realized that my passion was really technology and that I, I was going to be able to start a, a company in technology. There was no reason why I shouldn't be able to do it, um, especially with a background in mathematics. So I, I went back to Cambridge, did another year, this was 2011-12, um, and I thought, okay, data, huge right now, plus matches the background, software as a service. I built a SaaS app before. It was very small. It's called 42 Tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a task management app. It wasn't a big company. There was you know, a couple of us doing this. So I kind of thought, okay, how do we make something really big in data and in SaaS? And then I spent a while, so about three months, looking at all the different possible markets and industries to which this could be applied. Um, and e-commerce popped up as such a huge market and such a huge opportunity and a place where where data wasn't quite being leveraged in the way that it should be. So there were some great analytics companies. There was, I mean, obviously Google Analytics was free and, and gave everyone insight into, into the core sort of web metrics. You had Kissmetrics who would be able to tell you a bit more about sort of customers and, and cohort analysis and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was RJ Metrics who had this amazing sort of BI dashboard that that would give you, as you start scaling, as you start building more and more operational complexity, it would give you the visibility that you needed. The bit that we found that was missing, and you know, I brought in my previous co-founder from my last business, from, from Innova Capital, um, and I managed to find the most amazing two entrepreneurs to join us. So there's actually four, four co-founders of Metria. Um, what we found was that in e-commerce, the number one problem, and this problem was discovered by actually speaking to 200 separate online retailers okay. um, and noting, out, noting down their answers. The number one problem was that data about the customer was in too many places and that marketing strategies were not actioning that data. So consider you've, you've got an online store, right? You'll have an mm-hmm. e-commerce platform, Magento. Um, you'll have a web analytics tool, whichever one of the ones we've mentioned you're using. You'll have uh, an email service provider, something like a MailChimp. As you get bigger, you'll have an ERP which plugs in, which will have things like your stock data, returns, and things like that. Mm-hmm. You'll have Excel spreadsheets all over the place trying to link all of this stuff together. And so you end up with no single customer view, and there's absolutely no way for your marketing to be data-driven. It's all, it's all manual. It's all mm-hmm. repetitive. Um, and so we thought, let's solve that. And that's what we did. So we, we built Ametria. Um, by the end of 2013, the product was ready in beta. And we started going out to market and seeing how people would, would react to it. And, and they really loved it. Imagine being able to have all of the things that I talked about in one place. So for every single one of your customers, you have them profiled. You know that you know this is Ivan. He's on the website. He likes blue shirts. He hasn't bought them in a while, but he typically buys them this sort of regularity. Here's his premium nest level. Um, we have all the historical transactions. We have the entire product taxonomy in the system. We know that he's been opening emails, but he hasn't been clicking through. We know that we can now start talking to him. So we can automate email messages to him. We can put him in a Facebook custom audience in order to retarget him. All of this within one singular system. System. It's basically like the most amazing tool slash platform for um okay. for market. Okay, could you break down? There's quite that's quite a lot in in one package. Um, mm. Could could you break down the the modules in in Ometra in in the sense that you said you could send emails? Does that mean email marketing is redundant? Um, so you know, buying um, third party email automation systems will be redundant if we you know, use a metra or um, is it just an addition to another layer 
with with an email system. Um, so, so could you break down all the sort of core modules um, the user or a typical e-commerce um, company will um, have at their disposal when they're on a metra? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. So it might sound complicated, and actually in reality it's very simple. We see it as there being two parts. Um, part number one, customer insights. And we're focused entirely on the customer. It's the bit that we believe that retailers are most interested in and mm-hmm. the bit where we can add the most value. So if you consider customer insights, the questions are, if I'm a fast growth online retailer, how do I acquire more people onto my email list? How do I convert them into a first-time customer? Mm-hmm. How do I take the first-time buyers? How do I get them to buy again and become a hero customer, a loyal repeat VIP customer? How do, I, you know, how do I stop them from churning? How do I reactivate the ones that have churned? All of this information is provided by Ametria because we have the, the integration with everything else necessary to pull it in and we have the single customer view. We have the ability to give you answers to all of those questions within the, the platform itself. Okay. Um, so that's kind of module one, as it were, but it, really it's all, it's all one, one big tool. But if you, if you were to split it into two modules, the second module is the marketing automation part mm. because insights on their own it's like you you get far enough but at some point someone's going to ask so what right like you you see all of this this data this insight and then you know the marketing manager sitting there going cool that's that's really useful now what do i do with it and so we solve that problem by ensuring we have the full marketing automation solution built in so we will deliver triggered personalized emails uh fully personalized with product recommendations that we power based on browsing behavior, email behavior, historical purchases, based on all of that. Um, we will deliver a, um, an update through, uh, through Facebook's custom audience technology to be able to retarget very relevant people with the most relevant thing for them. Um, and so the automation side acts on all of that insight and actively drives additional measurable revenue to those specific businesses, um, which makes it a no-brainer to use us because we're not a cost to the business like, a, like an analytics tool would be. We're actually generating the money. We're, we're very much ROI positive. So it's plug and play. It's completely plug and play for anyone on Magento, on Shopify, on Spree, on Hybrid. Basically, if you're on a standard off-the-shelf platform, mm-hmm. this can be done, you know, depending on which one, from five minutes to a couple of hours. Magento, okay. Shopify, literally five minutes. Okay. Um, custom sites, where we have no problem with. It just means that you have to connect to our API. So mm-hmm. the developer has to go and plug some things in. I'm on your Y or Metro page, and um, cool. I think that there's an image here of um, a customer. Mm-hmm. Labeled a number three four two six, and um, cool. next to it is a, a customer with a picture um, mm-hmm. who likes dresses with a metro. Now the, the before is just a, a customer, a plain mm-hmm. customer, and then the after is Jess. She's a potential hero. She is an iPad, likes dresses, and um, you've got a Facebook ID. And there's mm-hmm. a journey there down there from um, email through to just emails, really. Um, re-engagement laps in and um, she's classified as a risk and then she receives an email and then she clicks and then there's a predicted CLV, customer lifetime value. How do you go about mm-hmm. predicting CLV? Well, because so, it, so it, the, it varies um, according to your product offering as, as, um, because um, replenishables will be different to um, higher sort of value items which you buy you know, every decade, I guess, like furniture or like a sofa, for instance. So, so how can you predict CLV? Sure. So, 
So predicted CLV uh, is based on a mathematical. So one of my closest friends from Cambridge is actually um, actually data scientist. So he's been working on this model for for years and years. Um, fundamentally, we we apply. Uh, a Bayesian statistic model to every single data point we have about the customer, which means all of those interactions with the site and transactions and, and so on. Um, and I guess in the most simplified way of explaining it, um, so it's called it's called a beta geometric model, but basically it, what that means is we're going to predict when is the most likely time for them to next purchase, and then what is the most likely average order value of that purchase. Mm -hmm. And at some point there becomes no likeliness of them, likelihood of them purchasing again, and and that is effectively what what that customer lifetime value would would end up being calculated to. Mm. Um, so, in that model is then run across all of the individual retailers. So we don't combine retailer data. We're very much a first party platform. We're we're a platform that each individual retailer uses to analyze their own customers. Um, we we have very stringent protection to make sure that that doesn't leak into any other account. Um, but we can apply that to all of the customers of a particular retailer, and then we can measure that performance by saying, okay, if we were to evaluate it at the beginning of 2015, let's see if that's accurate compared to the end of 2015, and we've been optimizing the model as we go along, making it more and more accurate. Um, we're finding these days that although for an individual customer, it is much harder to get that level of accuracy for the overall business. So once you aggregate the predicted lifetime value of the overall business, we're typically 4% out. So that's the, the accuracy that we can predict for your next year's total revenue based on your performance now. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Most of our listeners are fairly established mid-tier online retailers. I just wanted to, to have your take on um, customer acquisition, where they should mm -hmm. focus their energies versus um, retention mm -hmm. from, from this context. So some of them are doing two, five, ten million, you know, um, dollars or pounds um, a year mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in revenue. Where should they focus a lot of their energies? So, so they're, you know, they're, they're working on AdWords, they're doing the PLA campaigns, um, they're quite competent with search, um, they're working on social media. Um, so that direct response advertising is kind of, you know, near optimal, um, mm -hmm. in, in their mm -hmm. respect. So, so where, where do you think they, they should focus on, um, acquisition or, or retention? Well, this is one of my favorite topics, actually. Um, I, I very often speak to, I guess, smaller retailers who come along to, um, you know, to maybe our website or even get introduced in some sort of way. And they're like, we love what you're doing in Ametria. We've seen all your case studies, all these amazing results. You know, we want to do it. And I sort of ask, okay, well, what's your turnover? What's your customer base? And they sort of say, okay, well, we've got like 5,000 contacts on our mailing list and, you know, we're growing very nicely. Uh, and I'm like, dude, 5,000 contacts, go and spend all your money on AdWords. There is no point in spending your money on, on, on Ometria. You're not, it's just a total waste of your time, of your resources, of everything else. Basically, the way that we see it, the cutoff for us is if you haven't got about 10,000 people to start contacting, so whether that's email or you know, Facebook or so on, but if you haven't got that database, that contact list, that customer list, then right now your best bet is just to go and spend more money on whatever paid channels you can find. AdWords are obviously great, but just go and spend it on everything because mm -hmm. you can build that up. Once you've built it up, you can start optimizing. But when the data set is too low, there's no point in spending time optimizing. So, so, I mean, you, sorry, 10,000 contacts or 10,000 sales? 
10,000 contacts, okay, contacts. Okay. So in individual people that you can start then doing some sort of personalized marketing to, okay. maybe some segmentation, maybe some A-B testing. So one of the things, one of my sort of pet peeves is, um, is A-B testing. Mm. I went to speak at a, at a conference. Um, for the last couple of months, I've been sort of flying around speaking at a lot of conferences. It's that sort of season. But um, one of these was in Bucharest. And it was, it was a very, very cool conference. It was um, GPEC at, at, at Bucharest. 750 people, all very, very smart. I gave one of the keynotes there and I was talking about customer lifecycle marketing and how you can really use, you know, a very clear understanding of the customer to push them through the stages of being, you know, a lead to a one time to a repeat customer and so on. Mm. But then all the rest of the day was spent on talking about how you can A-B test your website to improve conversion. And then this guy, one of the guys in the audience sort of asked a question and, and they're like, well, you know, what, what's the sort of typical cost of a platform like Ametria? And I said, well, we start at 800 pounds a month. So that's a sort of typical contract is 10,000 pounds for the first year. But really, most of our customers are a little bit bigger than that. So they pay two, three, four times that. Um, and he was like, yeah, but we, you know, our whole budget for marketing right now is 2000 euros a month. So, you know, we, we can't afford you. And that's actually the case for almost all of the businesses here in the audience. Mm. And I was like, well, one, no problem. You're not at the point where you can do, you know, custom lifecycle marketing with a metria um, or really with anyone because you need to keep growing and doing acquisition. But if you're spending 2000 euros as your marketing budget, it means that you're small and there's nothing wrong with being small, but spending a whole day talking about how you can A-B test your site. When you <laughs> wrong got, SEO. You know, Wrong, completely wrong. Yeah. 50 people coming to your website a day, you're never going to get anywhere with that kind of testing. So that's why, I mean, honestly, it's such a, it's such a favorite topic of mine because if I were to start an e-commerce business, I, I believe I'd, you know, I, I don't even know if I'd be able to do extremely well. There's lots of things I don't know about e-commerce. But in terms of e-commerce marketing, I know that I would absolutely have a budget. I would spend it as much as possible on customer acquisition for the beginning until I could build up a list of at least 10,000 people. I'm, I'm going to go off script here because I have some questions I've listed out here. Um, you, you just mentioned um, the fact that um, if you're to invest in, an e well, if you're to start an e-commerce business, if you were to start an e-commerce business, um, what kind of e-commerce business would you would you start? Are you an investor in with a VC sure, sure. company, with the angel investment company? Are you an investor in any e-commerce businesses? And what kind of e-commerce businesses actually excite you at the minute? Sure. So actually, out of the investments I've made, only a few have failed, and two of them were the e-commerce businesses that I invested in. Um, and uh, do you know what? That it's fine. I'm I'm very happy about it because they were actually an inspiration, and they really taught me so much about why a metro was a requirement. Mm. So. You know, although there was a loss, it's portfolio theory. I've got some really nice, successful ones that are moving through the system, so it's fine. Mm -hmm. But these these losses were so instrumental in in helping me understand these challenges that we now solve. But you know what? If I were to if I were to start slash invest in in an e-commerce business, um, first of all, no stock. That's like a priority, basically. I mean, you know, stock seems like a good idea. I, and actually, I have I have some friends that are running a very successful stock holding business right now, had an amazing Series A and Series B from the best investors in London, and they're you know they're they're doing extremely well. Um, but that that's a sort of one off. Really, you want to build a model that's like lit. Right, forty plus million funding in their latest round. They don't hold any stock. All they are is a is a super smart data and marketing front end. Mm. Um, so that's kind of you know step one, I guess. Step two is high average order value. That's you know absolutely vital as well. You just don't want to be messing around where your average order value is five pounds per order. I mean, so, right? So, so how would you define high? High. Um, 
So I, I know of a, of a couple of businesses basically where, so, okay, let's say furniture, for example, um, mm. let's say luxury jewelry, where you're talking 500 pounds plus. Now, that's probably too much. But if your average order value is under 100 pounds, you're going to struggle to be competitive in paid customer acquisition. You're probably not going to be profitable on first purchase. Mm. So then you have to build lifetime value models and you have to hope that, you know, after two, three purchases, the, these customers will be profitable. And then, you know, will they actually repurchase? two or three times becomes a question and mm. then reinvestment becomes, you know, a difficulty. But if you can be hundred pounds plus average order value and profitable on the first purchase, taking into account all the margins, absolutely everything, and, and your fully loaded customer acquisition costs, then you're based and you're doing this without having to hold stock. So it's all uh, drop shipped or, you know, it, it's somewhat some other non stock builds to order or something, yeah. Yeah, exactly. built to order, or even an affiliate play if you can do it in the right way. Mm. Um, basically, if you've got that going on, then you're you're in business, right? Then literally, it's a machine, it's a funnel. You pour money in the top, more money comes out. You go to investors and you say, "Guys, you know, I need a hundred million right now because this is going to be huge." Mm. Um, that that's awesome. I mean, that's that's mm. the way to go. I had um, the guys from Lost My Name, um, the storybook, the the personalized storybook. Um, Ashi Sharby mm. on on the show last week. Um, it's it's yet to go live by the way, mm-hmm. and um, they've built a, well, they call their, their model a full stack e-commerce um, business in the sense that um, they, they build everything to order. So zero inventory, as you said. And um, so people order on their websites and then they get, they, they, they basically fire on the, the press, print it to mm-hmm. order and then, you know, ship to, to customers and, and their margins are phenomenal. Well, you can imagine that they're wide. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's 18 pounds a, a book. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing is they've sold um, ten million pounds worth of um, books in the last three years and on a single title. See, that's a perfect model, right? Because they take the cash up front. Somebody orders it on the website. Mm. They put in their bank, and then they pay a little bit of it. So they're whatever there's the, the negative part of the margin is. Um, they pay that to the supplier probably like sixty days later. So the, they've got this amazing working capital. I mean, they basically mm. never. It's funding, right? They just keep spending money on some marketing. More people come, and they've got the sixty-day buffer to keep going. Um, that's yeah, that is literally the perfect model. Okay, okay, fantastic, and that pretty much covers how mid-tier retailers remain competitive. You know, how how can they remain competitive? Um, I was going to ask you a question on that. So, big data. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's, 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 it's a buzzword. I was, um, at, um, Silicon Valley comes to, to Oxford. I, I'm, I'm based in Oxford. I, I live in Oxford right. and, um, I was at Silicon um, Valley comes to Oxford and the big thing last year was big data. Now, how can mid-tier retailers harness big data? Is, is it even in, from your perspective, um, from the amount of traffic coming in, would, would would their traffic really qualify as big data, or do you think personalization is is more where they should sort of um, you know direct their energies to? Um, could you just mm. clarify the the concept of big data personalization and um, where you think mid tier retailers should kind of technologies you think mid tier retailers should should sort of focus their their energies on? Yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, also Silicon Valley comes to the UK is is amazing. So, one again, another one of the inspirations for Ametria was Silicon Valley comes to Cambridge, mm. 2012. There was a big panel on big data. Um, Reid Hoffman from LinkedIn was on the panel and he wow. was talking about the future. It was it was absolutely incredible. So, um, first of all, you know, Sherry Kutu's whole entire Silicon Valley comes to the UK thing is is amazing, and obviously amazing. in that Cambridge. 
Um, but big data has been that buzzword from, you know, from the moment I wanted to start a metro is one of the reasons I wanted to do it. I then very quickly realized that no, this data is not big at all. Um, you know, if we if we were running Palantir here, then we'd really be able to call ourselves a big data company, right? Those guys, they're, they're doing some real big data. Um, what we do is, is very much medium data, if that. You know, the data sets bet- between all of the retailers that we track, which is, which is hundreds, you know, we're probably tracking 100 million visitors, probably coming out to 10 million identified customers that we have data on and are able to communicate with. So, you know, the numbers are chunky, but these are not, these are not big, 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 you know, this is not proper big data. Um, from a retailer's point of view, uh, it's nice to know that the concept and the trend of big data has opened their eyes towards, I guess, the, the simple concept of data itself. And that's, I think, the biggest win here. And I think they need to not worry about whether it's big or whether it's small. I think they need to, to worry about what is the actionable benefit to their business that they're able to drive using data. Um, and that is actually, that's why, again, that's why Ametria is, is a full on both customer insight, but also the marketing platform, because we don't believe that a mid-tier retailer has the capacity, the time, the resource, the money, the, the know-how necessarily even. Um, to be able to act on on the data in a manual way. So what they need is a full-on solution that that pretty much acts on that data on their behalf and educates them to be better and better at doing it. Um, So really, you know, my answer is, and obviously I'm coming at it from the approach of, you know, being CEO and founder of Ametria, so this is what I live and breathe all day every day. But our approach is you absolutely do need to harness all of the data you're collecting on the customers because you have Mm. so much so valuable but you need to do it in a way that's not going to take up a lot of time and is not going to cost a lot of money and that will drive higher engagement and more revenues. And that's exactly what, what we what we set out to do and what we do right now for so many mid-tier retailers. Because I was going to set up, I'll circle it into, you know, to, to asking you what the benefits of a 360 degree customer view is. Um, well, could you define it and you know, what data points um, should they have or should online retailers have? on mm-hmm. each customer and when does it become too just um, too much data if, if that makes sense um or mm-hmm. yeah or otd or, or ott mm-hmm. sorry um <laughs> so yeah so so what key data points actually um will help you make more money in, yeah in, in general? well so let's um let's start right at the top so basically what data can you collect about a customer so every time they make a purchase, that goes and sits in your e-commerce platform. So you've got some stuff going on there. You know exactly who they are because obviously they have to identify themselves during a purchase. Mm-hmm. And then you know what they've bought. So that's kind of that's a nice first initial step because you can start working from that. Then to make it more interesting, you can lump on on top of that. What have they been doing on the website? Now, for that, you need technology that's able to identify them on the website and, and link together all their devices when they visit to be able to say, okay, well, now this person, not just, you know, what they purchased, but now this person has been looking at certain things. And maybe they added something to basket, but they didn't finish the purchase and so on. So that's kind of a secondary data set. This is the interaction data for that customer mm. with your website. Then you've got the way they interact with your messaging. Now, email is the easiest one to pull that out of. So is that person 
opening emails, clicking emails? You know, are they are they engaged with your with your email marketing? That's a sort of third data set. Um, and then, you know, over time, you can add more complexity. So you can include things like refunds, which will probably sit in a different system. You can include for multi-channel retail. We've got a whole bunch of multi-channel retailers. You can include offline transactions. Mm. And that, you know, that's taking it to a whole other level. You know, we love that because it just, it, it makes the, the puzzle even more complex, which of course, you know, we love because we love solving complex puzzles. Um, so you can include the fact that they've seen a message and then browsed something, but then gone in and, and bought it in a store. So that's like another data set to add. And these are the steps incrementally that an e-commerce marketer should be adding. So first of all, purchases, you've got that. There's no excuse to not be leveraging that. Second of all, interaction on the website, harder because you need a technology platform for that. Third of all, interactions with your email marketing, again, need to lump that together. And then fourthly, all those additional things that we just talked about. So, so it's, it's a chronological sort of journey to, to through your funnel and um it starts all over again and again and again. It's it's a continuous um, journey. I, I have a question with regards to how retailers react to to, to this data. So they, they see an individual customer and mm. um, they they see where they've come from. They see how they interact with messaging on the website. They see how they interact with messages they send to them. They see so if they're they're offline, um, you know, retailers. They see how they they interact with um, offline transactions, or offline you know um, offers, and mm-hmm. they they get this picture of a customer. What should they do next? They leave it to a metro to kind of figure out what to do next, or can they proactively react to it? on a case-by-case basis, which I think would be time-consuming, or um, could they do it en masse, like group customers based on mm. certain patterns, if you know a group of customers tend to do or tend to you know, do the same thing, really, or take the same steps, they group them and then they, they sort of um, they carry out the same um, sets of actions or give the same messaging, or does a metric kind of take care of everything from, from that perspective? Well, so there's, there's three stages of what's possible. Um, now, I actually know some retailers who will see uh, a basket abandoned on their site and pick up the telephone and actually call them. Um, I was speaking to one last week. They're a very old shirt company, you know, in, in London, in Mayfair. And that's what they like to do. So they like to actually call the person. They're, you know, they're, they're not about the automation. Then I guess the next step up is what most people are sort of starting to do now, which is where you start segmenting based on that data. So you're like, okay, let me, you know, let me make sure that whatever message I show to people who like shirts is going to be different to the people who like jeans. And that's, you know, that's becoming more and more standard. But then the, I guess the third and final stage, which is the only stage that we focus on, it's, it's what Ametria does completely in an automated way, is create a, a, an autonomous lifecycle marketing strategy that will deliver the right message to each individual person at the point where that message is necessary for that person and do it in a way that's guided by the, the people who are setting up the strategy, so the marketing manager or the marketing team of the retailer, but do it in a fully automated way that can then be tuned and optimized. So to, to give you an example, it wouldn't be a case of let's see today is you know Monday or obviously today's Saturday, but let's say today's Monday, um, we're doing our trade meeting, which campaign should we do and how should we segment that campaign? That's a kind of very standard way of doing e-commerce marketing. Mm-hmm. Instead, it would be, we believe that our hero customers don't need to be sent the basket abandonment email because we know that they come back on their own and actually it's, it's a negative impact if we keep bombarding them. But we do want to reactivate our lapsing customers. So if someone hasn't bought for three months, 
months and then suddenly stops coming to the website, we need to first remind them of how amazing our brand is, but then after a while send them an offer. But actually, we don't want to just send one offer. We want to see whether one offer is better than another offer. So we want to see two different things running automatically, and we want to optimize for which one's better. And if you imagine a, a set of decisions like this that a marketing team does, and actually, we, we have built up so much expertise in this. We've got an amazing e-commerce marketing team in-house. We have an amazing data science team in-house. So we sit and we work with each one of the retailers using a metric to build this sort of strategy up. And then we, we put it into the system, which takes a couple of hours to set up. And then Ametria will power all of this and will give very clear visibility on whether it's working or not. So are you driving more revenue? Are you driving more engagement? Or are people unsubscribing, for example? Um, and then you can very quickly pick out, you know, no, my VIP recognition campaign, it's not actually working. You know, we thought it was a good idea to invite people to a special event after they spent a thousand pounds with us. Um, but they seem to not like an event and they're unsubscribing. Cool, no problem. We can turn that off. We can change that for something. It's the future of, of everything, right? The future of everything is going to be artificial intelligence. Now, you know, artificial intelligence in general is something very complicated that people do, you know, at universities and at amazing companies. But there's also a very practical side of artificial intelligence, which is when something is too complicated for a human being to do and writing an individual message to a hundred thousand or a million customers is far too complicated for a human being to do. You need to plug in a machine that's going to be able to do it under the guidance of that human being, but in a super smart, super intelligent way. Um, and that is exactly what we provide to online retailers. Got so you're disrupting email marketing. Uh, so email is just the beginning. I mean, the reason I talk about email is because it's so powerful. Um, so we right now can do email, we can do Facebook, we can do display advertising. Um, we can but haven't yet done both SMS and direct mail. So we have an API right now that is plugged into Ametria that can send a triggered physical postcard to a person by mm. mail. So if somebody, you know, looks at an item three times but doesn't buy it, we can genuinely print and deliver to them a postcard with that item. Um, the thing is, not a single retailer we've worked with has actually asked to use that. So um, uh, so far, email is by far the most relevant, powerful channel. It is free or as close to free as, as is possible, and people still interact and react to it. Um, I don't, sorry, go on. Just go ahead. Uh, no, no, so um, I was going to say, I don't believe that's going to be the future forever, but I believe that for the next five years, email will still be the main channel that retailers will use to communicate with customers. I, because I, I, so I, I don't really see the need of um, using, you know, um, broadcast email services if there's um, an email marketing automation um, platform like Ometra any, you know, anymore. There's, there's no point just sending out, you know, blind broadcast. And um, I think that's what I meant by um, disrupting email um, mm-hmm. marketing platforms. Okay. Well, actually, just just on that point, um, there's there's certain things that are extremely powerful using Metria. So let's say you um let's say you want to launch a new product, you can send a uh, a batch email to the people that our system believes are most interested in that new product based on the profiling and everything. Um, and sure, that's, that's, you know, that's very powerful. And then you can follow that up with automated responses. So if someone doesn't open it, another one sent. If someone opens and buys, you say, listen, thank you, here's an offer or, or whatever else. But we actually don't think that the full broadcast email will ever disappear just because these businesses are founded by you know, creative people. Anyone who starts an e-commerce business, they are someone who's gone on a journey. They've gone on this you know, epic adventure and they believe in their brand and it's, it's something that's a part of them. Um, and every so often, they're going to want to email all of their customers with something about their brand. And it's going to be something that's not, that's not automated. It's, it's not going to be personalized. It's just going to be 
that individual wanting to say something to all the people that have believed in them. And for that reason, I think actually broadcast email will also stay in parallel to all the really smart stuff that we're doing. Okay. What about um, platforms like Bronto? Mm-hmm. We are Bronto partners. We're actually doing an event with Bronto in October. So if you're around, please do come along. I'll, I'll drop you the details. It's going to be an awesome event it's with Bronto, with SLI systems, with, and with screen pages. Um, uh, we're also partners with .mailer. We're partners with a number of email service providers. Basically, we have a brain that uh, email service providers haven't been able to build because they, they are an established email uh, platform, right? I mean, Bronto sold for $200 million to NetSuite. You know, as an entrepreneur, right. if I was the founder of that business, I would be extremely happy, right? Um, and so they've clearly built a, a product that works. They, they've built a product that many people want to buy and they use and they're very happy with. We have built a very different product. We've built a product that's built specifically for online retailers and, and multi-channel retailers. But they're, they're, we don't work with anyone else. You can't plug us into, I don't know, some B2B business or a travel business or something like that and start sending emails. What you can do is within a few minutes get all the necessary data into our system, literally five minutes setup, and you can immediately set up an automated marketing strategy mm-hmm. that's hugely personalized, that does product recommendation, that does everything that you need. Um, Bronto, on the other hand, have amazing tools for sending broadcast emails, for being able to do template creation, um, for being able to do all sorts of things that you know that we don't have because we're not a, a fully featured email service provider. So what typically happens is that people will plug us in we will sync into Bronto all sorts of different things like life cycle stages. So then you'll have in Bronto who are my hero customers, my VIPs, my lapsing, my at risk, all of that. This data will come from Ametria into them. Um, and you'll be able to then, for example, segment your broadcast emails if you wanted. But Ametria takes care of the one-to-one. We take mm-hmm. care of the direct push messaging that's personalized and that really drives a very clear result only for that one person but over and over and over again for your entire customer database. Going on your website, that same page I was on, um, I had the impression that Tometra was almost like a CRM system for e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have like photographs of, do you, could you pull um, like um, the, the social media profiles off the back of um, their email addresses and things like that and kind of have a look, an individual personalized look at each, each person on your database um, or each contact? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We have a page where you can literally go in and so you, you can choose either the full database or you can segment it down by the most amazing things possible. So you can be like, okay, show me people who've looked at shirts but haven't bought them and they're high value customers. And then you have the list of them and you can go into any one of them and then you can see their full activity stream. So mm-hmm. what has this person been doing recently? Um, and you can absolutely pull in their picture, but actually we've, we've turned that feature off recently. So, um, you know, you know, Gravatar, right? Yes. It's, Gravatar. It's a, Exactly. So we used to have Gravatar pulling in the picture and um, it, it got a bit weird. So we decided to get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so it's pretty much like CRM, like an automated CRM platform. Okay. Um, let's talk metrics beyond conversion rates, um, transaction, sales, average order value, revenue, revenue. What, what core metrics should um, e-tailers track from your yeah, perspective? So I- I mean, you sort of, at standard, if you're getting a metric at the moment and where we focused on, right? If you're running an e-commerce business, you've literally got visits, conversion rate, average order value, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is your formula. That's like Avanash's formula. Every, everyone is basically just like memorize this. So those three, at, when you're starting out, when you're a small to, small to early, medium-sized business, you just need to keep driving those visits. You need to make sure your average order value is as high as possible. And then you can optimize conversion in, in whatever way you can, but you know, probably not through a six month long A-B 
test. But then really when you sort of move past that, that's where the retention side gets interesting. And one of the things that we do, the first step of our trial, so we, we offer a trial of Ametria to anyone on Magento, Shopify, or Spree, just because of how easy it is to plug in and integrate. So we do a completely free trial. The first step of, uh, of all of this is actually to do an insights report. And one of my co-founders, um, James, is our chief customer officer. And as chief customer officer, his only responsibility is to ensure that everyone who uses Ametria sees a clear, tangible benefit. Um, he spends all of his time working with all of our customers, working with all of our retailers. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's amazingly powerful what he was uh, been able to achieve by, by doing that. But basically, his first insights report actually goes through uh, a number of metrics that are relevant. Uh, first step is to identify, for example, how your repeat customers compare with your new customers. So within each month, how many of the orders are coming through are being driven by existing customers that you'd acquired previously versus new ones that you're acquiring and paying for right now. After that, what are what is the distribution of your revenue by the different sort of segments or proportions of your of your customer base? So uh, identifying the hero customers who will probably be 10% of the total size of your database, but who will almost certainly drive 50% plus, I mean, in some cases, sort of 80% of all of the revenue to your business. And if if that's the case, which, you know, often often it is, then, you know, why on earth are you spending time on the other 90%? You've got this amazing hero customer segment. Just, you know, find out how you can get more of those guys. Where do they come from? How do you get them to spend more money? And so these sort of, I, I guess, database retention metrics um, become more and more relevant as you grow bigger as, as a business. Um, you know, th there's lots of numbers. I'm sure you've sort of heard them, and I'm sure other people have mentioned them. But th there's lots of numbers about how much cheaper it is to get an existing customer to buy again uh, compared to acquiring a new one, you know, between sort of two times and ten times, depending on who you listen to. Um, there's all sorts of numbers that uh, companies like Forrester and Gartner have come out with where, if you increase your retention rate by 25%, you increase revenues by 125%. That's, that's definitely a number that's floating around on the internet somewhere. Um, I can't remember the exact attribution of, of, of who, who came up with it, but it, it was definitely one of those sort of bigger, uh, bigger consultants. or Gartner's, and have, yes, come across it. Exactly, right? So then those are the metrics that become super powerful. How do I increase my repeat purchase rate, my retention rate? How do I increase my reactivation rate? So if, if my customers are lapsing, then how do I, how do I get them to reactivate? How do I increase that? What is my lapsing time period? So one of the other things we do in this insights report is we, we analyze the order gap. So we go in and we start checking out, well, what is the typical length of time between a, um, you know, the first purchase and the second, the second and the third? And then how do you extrapolate that out across the entire customer database to work out when is someone most likely to purchase again? When do they become at risk of, of lapsing and churning? And when are they finally just gone? And so we have, you know, our, our system will use the data to identify those. Um, and then we'll start working out, okay, so who are the people at risk and who are the people that have totally, totally lapsed? And how can we reactivate them and bring them back? Does it factor in seasonality? In some ways, yes. So basically, we, we have businesses that are totally different using Ametria. We have, um, we have businesses that have zero seasonality. 
Um, so these are alcohol companies, vaping companies, uh, medical companies, coffee companies. Um, these guys, I mean, you, you are drinking coffee every day. It doesn't really matter what, you know, what, what day of the year, what season it is. Um, but equally, we, of course, have fashion retailers. Um, and then on the other hand, I mean, we have we have uh, a bed company, Silent Night, that, you know, as you can imagine, their repeat purchase is 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 a sort of an order of magnitude of years, not an order of magnitude of days. So very different companies will have very different data sets and, and metrics. And, and the system has to take account that into account. Um, but even more importantly, if this is something that's so custom that completely different to anything we've done before, we have our data science team that have the ability to tune and tweak it in, in any way relevant. So, you know, we've got some businesses that, for example, have four completely different categories with four completely different repeat purchase cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's fine. That just means that instead of doing a one off like we do for, for another business, we just dig further and deeper into it. And we'd set up completely different strategies for each one of those strands. So I presume CLV would adjust according to the type of business. Um, over Absolutely. Time. Okay. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Not only type of business, but also if it's a case of the one that I just mentioned, if they have different categories, you'd actually have completely different CLVs for people depending on their product of first purchase, because mm-hmm. then you can you can estimate that they're going to be a, a this buyer instead of a that buyer. Okay. What about customer success? It's quite huge in SaaS. Um, so some of our listeners are not very familiar with um, the concept of customer su- success. Could you break down what customer success is, um, its SaaS origins, and how it will be relevant to, to e-commerce and mid-tier e-commerce in, in, in particular? Yeah, so I guess, again, two sides. First of all, customer success within Ametria. We, we see two core tenets of, of Ametria that we have always over-invested in and will continue to do so. Um, we're, we're actually closing a next funding round right now, pretty much today, hopefully signatures on Monday. Um, and, you know, the first hire we've made out of that has been to the customer success team. Um, the, the first one is product, though. Product is key. We have to have a technology platform that is extremely powerful yet extremely easy to use. And this is what we spend all of our time doing. But the second part is we have to have a customer success team that ensures that every single person who has started using Ametria sees a clear, tangible benefit in the shortest time possible. Um, so what, what that looks like in reality is James, our chief customer officer, has under him um, a team of specialists who are ex-e-commerce marketers, so who were you know, working within online retailers doing marketing, and they know exactly what to do, but they also know how to use Ametria. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a team, a data science team, and they're there to ensure that the numbers, so things like predictive lifetime value analysis, things like this sort of category order gap analysis can be done. Um, and then a general support team of people who know how to use the Ametria platform itself. So what do the functionality do? Um, what, you know, how, how can we get something done? Um, and that, that team is effectively available to every single one of our customers reactively, but also proactively approaches each one to make suggestions. So even on our lowest pricing tier, even if you're just on £800 a month, we will be sitting down with you uh, at least once a month proactively to say, here's some things that need to be updated. Here's some things that you should be doing that you're not doing now. Here's a way of improving your your marketing using the Ametria platform. Um, so that's kind of the SaaS slash Ametria approach to, to customer success. Mm-hmm. Um, from an e-commerce point of view, I think customer success isn't a term that's uh, that's typically used mainly because you know you're not going to be spending as much time with each one of your customers. You're unlikely to be as proactive. But um, one of the one of my favorite books that I've read in recent times has been Delivering Happiness by uh, Tony Shea. 
Jesus, right? Um, and, and that guy is clearly the man because he's been able to build a, a, a customer success strategy. He's been able to build, you know, a company, a billion dollar company based around customer success and nothing more. You know, let's be honest. If, if I was starting an e-commerce business, then shoes holding stock, probably not the way I'd go, but he has clearly <laughs> proved me wrong there. Absolutely. Um, but I was looking at an infographic the other day, and it's till today Amazon's biggest um, acquisition mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. compared to every other. Absolutely amazing story. So really, I mean, I, I have very little to add other than read that book, and that is how you should treat your customers and just do everything that those guys do, and, and you will be successful. I'll link, to, link, link up to it in the show notes. Okay. Um, okay, so finally, with regards to metrics, what practical tips um, do you have for increasing and improving customer lifetime value to retailers listening? Sure. So customer lifetime value is basically then driven by can you get them to buy again? Um, so yes, actually, even before that, you can acquire customers who are likely to have bigger customer lifetime value and you can quite, quite easily work out the channels that are going to drive you the, the bad customers. Um, so for example, if you're doing everything from AdWords to social media paid advertising to affiliates, you'll have a range of places that your customers come from, maybe, you know, 20 different places. Analyze that by customer lifetime value. So not just the sort of last click revenue, not just like what they buy in the first order, but do these guys actually come back and spend time? You'll probably find, you know, a couple of affiliates that don't really send you the, the right kind of people. Um, you know, they send you the kind of people that buy once on discount and then, you know, return all the stuff later. Um, so you can sort of cut that out and double down on the channels that are driving the high value customers. But that's, you know, that's not really anywhere near as powerful as actually taking the, the customers that you've got and getting them to spend actually more money with your store, getting them to come back, making those more, more and more purchases. So really, personalized individual communication to each one of them based on a model that, that increases the chances of them buying again, that is the way to go. Mm. If you want to start easy, if you want to just do something without, you know, without having to spend time or money on it, just go and set up a basket abandonment campaign. If you haven't got that running now, just go and set it up. You can do it in a sort of hack together way. If you don't want to spend money or if you can't afford to spend money on a sort of tool, let's say like a Metria, um, you, you can just go and hack it together within Shopify, within Magento. It will drive more revenue to your business because it will get your existing customers to come back and buy for that second time. Um, and there's, you know, imagine extrapolating that out to all sorts of other different communications that you can do. Phenomenal. Thanks, Ivan. Um, yeah, it's really, really good stuff here. Okay, um, let's talk on Metro. Where where are you guys now in terms of customers? You, um, you, you founded, um, you, well, Goddard and, and Beta at the end of um, 2013. Um, you That's had right. your first set of customers. It's um, 2015 now. Um, where, where, where are you in terms of customers? How many customers um, do you have roughly? Yeah, so we've been we've been trading for about a year, I guess, just over a year because we've started getting the renewals, which which is a great feeling, by the way. So when a retailer comes back and says like, "Yes, we want to go again for another twelve months," we're like, "Okay, we're in the game." Uh, so yeah, we've been trading for about. So I, I can't remember the exact number. There's definitely over a hundred sites using a metro right now, okay. um, but we're that, we're not at two hundred yet, but basically somewhere somewhere in the middle between those. So we've we've grown very very quickly, and I guess the 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 thing that I'm particularly proud of as well is the broad range of the types of of retailers and and, and e-commerce businesses that we've worked with, um, because it's not just uh, you know it's not just for example cutting edge startups. We've got a whole bunch of cutting edge uh, VC backed startups, uh, Swoon mm. Editions. Rad. I mean, these guys have just grown by a phenomenal amount. They're very data driven. They know exactly what what they're doing. What's, you know, what's we the love- s- second one um, after Swan Editions? 
RAD, uh, so RAD.co, um, okay. they're an index, index ventures backed startup in France. Um, they are probably the most advanced uh, marketers that we know of. They do some crazy stuff with Facebook. They, you know, the, these guys, uh, they're, they're smashing. The other day, uh, one of the Kardashian sisters, I don't think it was Kim, I think it was one of the other ones, Instagrammed that, uh, that they were her favorite uh, e-commerce site of right now. Wow. And can you imagine that must have just driven the most crazy customer acquisition for them? But yeah, so we've got these kind of super hip, super cool, very smart VC VC backed startups. Um, but then also we have John Smedley, who is the oldest continually running clothing manufacturer in the UK. They're 260 years old as a company. So right at the other end of the scale, and we've got you know a whole bunch of these sort of established, well known firms. Um, John Smedley, Temperley Clothing, Bench, you know these these kind of well known names, uh, high street fashion um, and and luxury fashion names. Um, so it's great to be able to see that the product that we've built is truly valuable to any e-commerce site, to any online retailer, to any multi-channel retailer. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's your price point? Uh, so we start at £800 a month for, uh, I guess, our starter package, the basic tier. That that includes, that's basically for companies who are running on one of Magenta, Shopify, or Spree, um, mm-hmm. and who are using one of the sort of standard ESPs, so like a MailChimp or a .mail or a Bronto. So nothing, nothing complicated for the setup, something that we can plug in within five minutes. Um, and for them, we give them out-of-the-box functionality to do all the customer insights we discussed and also out-of-the-box functionality to do, um, I guess, uh, packaged automation, shall we say. So automation that's not massively customized. It's something that will just get them going and make them lots of money. So this is things like anti-lapse, things like loyalty recognition, post-purchase, uh, basket abandonment, browse abandonment. Um, so things that are quite easy to, to understand and set up. Then as you move forward at 1500 a month, which is our professional tier, it's the next tier up, you start getting more functionality as well as the ability to plug into any kind of platform. So a custom website, pretty much any ESP. And at that point, your, your ability to do automation is pretty much unconstrained. Mm-hmm. So we have some retailers who will have 18 different things going on at the same time. So for the French store, you'll have a, an A-B tested triple split basket abandonment campaign where some people will receive it, some people won't receive it for a week, but will then get an offer. Some people will get three messages in a row and, and they're doing it based on customer segmentation and an A-B test within it. Um, and it's, it's very, very cool to see, but it's basically, you know, at that point, you need both more customers and a bit more resource internally to be able to keep that up. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, the benefits. That, that company that's doing the sort of 18 campaigns, they're, they're paying us, um, you know, I won't mention who they are because they, we're obviously not allowed to, but they're paying us 1,500 a month. They generated 30K last month from, mm. from being able. So they're probably the happiest we, we've got in terms of ROI, you know. Um, and then of course it goes up. So at the top end, we have companies paying us 50K plus a year, um, because they are multi-channel, because they have, uh, multiple international sites because they need data science support. Um, and so, of course, once you're a sort of a larger retailer, then it, it's very much a sort of a tailored package for exactly what they need to plug into and exactly how much support they need. Okay. Um, so can you actually run um, loyalty campaigns from, um, from a metra? Yes. So loyalty recognition, yes. So what we don't do is we don't, um, we don't sort of collect points and, and things like that. For okay. us, the way we see loyalty is, is based on that engagement and purchasing. So if somebody keeps spending money with you, we can very much use that as an input into the, into the automation strategy. Um, but we are not a, a loyalty scheme provider. We're not okay. going to give people cards or, okay. you know, 
like points and so on. Okay. And um, with regards to the tears, um, is it capped by the number of contacts um, in, in the retailer's da- database or um, is it just based on um, the features of, of, um, of, of a metro? Absolutely. It's both, basically. So it's both. We, we've tiered it in such a way that we know that the smaller retailers, first of all, they can't afford to pay more. Secondly, they don't have that much data. And, and thirdly, they won't be able to use the more advanced features because they don't typically have the resource or the time. So that's why we have the sort of the lower tier that's both uh, restricted in terms of functionality and, and cheaper. Um, the, the tiers are also uh, capped in terms of the number of contacts to, uh, in the database and the number of visits to the site. Because we're tracking every single visit and connecting to every single contact, and so therefore, the bigger the retailer, the more likely we are to uh, need to put them in their own shard of the database. Or, you know, effectively, there is there is a cost to us of having more data being crunched. But of course, the bigger retailers also need more support, which is also why we we use that to measure how likely they are to have a bigger team that requires a lot more support requirement for us. And that's that's why some of the larger retailers we have pay even more than our standard tiers purely because of what those numbers Beyond are. Beyond it. Gotcha, gotcha. And would you mind sharing where you are with regards to revenue one year in? Yeah, so revenue is not something that we talk about. To be honest, that's not something that most SaaS businesses talk about. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, it's a competitive industry, not in terms of what we do. So we, we actually don't come up against competitors, which is amazing. We, we're educating the market. So often people see, you know, what's, what's the point of all of this? We're quite happy sending newsletters with MailChimp. That, that does happen. But we're, we're not facing any direct competition. We are, however, competing for capital against the other companies. Mm-hmm. And so, Therefore, uh, just just like every other SaaS business, we don't typically talk about revenues. You know, we're ta- we're happy to talk about things like customers and and the sort of data points that we capture. We're happy to talk about growth. So we're currently doing 600% year on year growth, and that's sort of projected to carry on. So it's it's good. It's all very good, and that's that's allowed us to close this latest round. So we'll be announcing that in about a well, hopefully in about a month or so, we'll be doing the public announcement of, of this round that was being closed now. Um, so everything is going in, in the right direction, but I think we'll have to wait until we're public before we start announcing revenue. Fantastic. Fu- fully understand. But 600% growth is phenomenal. Okay. Um, let's, this, is, this kind of fascinated me, um, from a company culture standpoint. Um, I was just wondering, um, for, for those of you not very familiar with, um, with London, I was just wondering why you're based in the West End. Cause I saw a pack, uh, well, your address was, was a W. Whoa. One, I'm uh, not Silicon Roundabout to the East End. Uh, is it a company culture thing or? A, um... Um, do you know what? It's actually it's it's slightly um it's slightly detrimental to company culture. I wouldn't say detrimental. It's probably too much, but um it's it's not for company culture at all. It's slightly annoying for my you know my my engineers, my devs to to come over. They obviously live in the East End. You know they they hang out with all of their friends there. Um, but if you are an enterprise software company and you want to hit it hard and you don't want to spend ages trying to acquire those first companies, uh, customers, it doesn't make sense to be over east because that's not where your customers are and that's not where the credibility is. Mm-hmm. So we, from the very beginning, wanted to present ourselves as a very strong enterprise software company. We, we build technology that is, uh, it's not a, you know, a startup technology. This isn't an app. This isn't a website. We are building technology that scales. We're building technology that's safe, it's secure. People are trusting us with really important customer data. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in some cases, you know, so extremely sensitive, 
that you know breaches are you know that, that's something that they're not they're not able to really put up with they're not able to tolerate and and so for that we wanted to ensure that we treated ourselves in that same way and being based in Mayfair where the other companies are Box Zuora you know the the sort of the best enterprise software companies are literally around the corner from us. Mm. Um, it just it gave us first of all the mentality, but secondly the credibility as we were starting out. Mm. Um, in in a year's time, we're going to move further east. We won't go to Shoreditch. That's a bit too cool, should we say? Um, <laughs> but we uh, we will end up somewhere a little bit more central. So you know we're looking around Clark and Wellhold and those sort of areas right now. Um, we're going to so we're 15 people going to 20 within a month. So I'm hiring right now. I've got five more people to hire. And then we're going to go from 20 to 40 in, in, you know, in the coming year or year and a half. And so we, we will run out of space at 2025. So we're already going to start looking in the, you know, in the short term future to see where we can move. Yeah, I like the anchor effect. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Let, let, final set of questions. Um, what one piece of advice would you give to mid-tier retailers keen on rapidly growing their e-commerce ventures? Uh, well, so if they're mid-tier, then at that point, it is definitely time to ensure that every single message that you send to your customers is personalized based on what should be sent to them right now, and that you absolutely stop doing anything that is uh, going to have a chance of delivering to them a message that they're not going to want to see, because they can push that unsubscribe button, or they can even push spam in, in Gmail, or they can use Sanebox and Unroll Me and all of these other tools. So unless you're getting it completely right, you're going to lose the war against them. So that's, that's my number one piece of advice to a mid-tier retailer that's already got that, that list built, that database, that credibility. With Good point. Know your customer and send them really targeted messages. Okay. Now, if you could choose a single book or resource that to me the highest impact on how you view building a business and growth, which would it be? Ooh, okay. I guess at the moment I've I've got this book kind of going through my head over and over, but really it's it's Elon Musk's biography. It's it's very mm. new. There's stuff that's stuff from a long time ago. I mean, there's some amazing books that I read. Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Every single person I meet who I I feel like I have a sort of an entrepreneurial connection with. Mm. Um, Within half an hour, we realized that we both read that book. Uh, you know, 15 years ago. But right now. Elon Musk's biography has pretty much, you know, changed my life because I wasn't able to put it down. I've, I've obviously read about him in articles and stuff like that. But actually hearing the story, hearing how much he was willing to sacrifice, how often he came close to losing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really, if you're, if you're building a business, it's going to show you that anything is possible and that really you've got nothing to worry about because there are people who've had much bigger challenges than have surmounted them. Fantastic. I shall link to, to, to both books um, from the show notes. Okay. And um, how do you hire people? Uh, well, so first of all, we've got the Ametria Culture Deck. So Google Ametria Culture Deck, um, uh, that really describes the kind of people that we want to hire. And very often that, that sort of allows them to self-select because a lot of people will look at it and be like, no, I don't want to be you know, with those guys. And that's great because that means that they're not sort of one of us. But then we'll have loads of people who actually come and they're like, wow, we saw that culture deck. That's exactly what we want to be doing. You know, mm-hmm. can you please, uh, can you please interview us? There, there've been two people in particular that I really just like, I wish I could find a role for them in, in my business right now because they have been, they have persevered for, for over a year now wanting to join the company because they they feel they'd be a good cultural fit and i know they'd be a good cultural fit because i've spent some time with them i'm just trying to find find the right role for them um but in terms of, i mean in terms of hiring it, it is immensely difficult i need three engineers right now so if anyone's listening we've got a jobs page please check it out i need okay. two salespeople. we're expanding quickly again same thing um you know through the network through talking to people we use some agencies we use um 
you know, some some sort of referrals. But ultimately, it's just a case of of doing everything possible to spread the word about our culture and the the word about the fact that we're hiring and and hoping that the right people come and present themselves to us. Okay, fantastic. How do we get some access to the through a Metro Culture Deck? Uh, so literally Google it, a Metro Culture Deck. Gotcha. It's called We Are we are a metrian oh, um, it's on slide deck yeah. found it yeah shall link yeah. to it okay exactly. right, cool. it's on slideshare it's on my blog it's on yeah loads of places awesome oh, good stuff good stuff okay um any three indispensable tools you use for for managing or metro as your business yes i guess i have lots of indispensable tools it's interesting uh so when i when I turn on my computer and I open uh, my tabs, I'll always have a couple of tabs running. Um, I use Google Keep, which um, which basically is sort of a digital version of uh, Post-it Notes. So I use I use Evernote as my main sort of you know note taking tool, mm-hmm. but I use Google Keep to manage my team. So right now I've sort of I've clicked on it to have a look. I've got my marketing weekly plans shared with Hannah, my marketing manager, sales weekly plans uh, shared with Josh, who heads up sales for us. Um, I've now got our sort of e-commerce plan. Um, with uh, shared with Paul, who's coming to join us as, as head of e-commerce. Um, and so I have all of the outcomes that I want to drive. And so I know that they also have this on their screen. And therefore, that is my way of ensuring that we are sort of linked, even if I'm, I don't know, pitching to investors or at a client meeting or on holiday. Um, so that's a super useful way for me to manage my, my sort of direct reports, the team that, that really works the closest with me. I then have a Google Sheet, which I look at every single day. It is one ginormous financial model that was built by Jalal, my co-founder, and I pretty much live in it. Um, It has a number of tabs. It has our SaaS KPIs, so how many customers have we acquired, um, how many customers have churned, which is none, yes. Um, You know, what's our MRR, what's the MRR growth, what's our customer acquisition cost, what's our payback period, all of this, basically. And then that's, um, that's sort of fed by a much bigger one, which includes all of our hiring plans for the next four years. So we've got this projected out for four years. I've got, you know, 150 salespeople joining at this rate. So we'll see if that actually plays out. Um, but I basically like, spend, so this is tool number two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I like the vision. I really, really like um, you know, the vision. I actually listened to, to um, one of your interviews an hour long on YouTube. It was um, Silicon... Um, Silicon Real. Yeah, yeah, Silicon Real, yes, yes. Those guys are Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and um, finally, could you let our audience know how they could find and reach you? We just reach out to you, really. Um, on, yeah, on so best I... IvanBazor.com is, is my blog, so please, you know, check it out, subscribe. I don't write often, but hopefully you'll see that when I write, it's it's sort of useful slash interesting. Uh, at Ivan Mazur on Twitter. Um, otherwise, I, you know, I have a very standard email address, Ivan at Metria.com. You can always find me there or me at IvanMazur.com. Um, so basically, lo- loads of ways. You you can't can't miss me. Um, IvanMazur.com is probably the easiest way because uh, every other contact detail is on there anyway. I'll link to it. And um, for our listeners, he's got the best ever about us page I've read. I was, I was on it this morning and I was like, wow, I read it, the entire thing. Okay, um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, on here, Ivan. And thank you for sharing your insights on um, on, on CLV, on Ometria, on growing businesses, on growing e-commerce businesses. Um, thank you for, for coming on, on 2X e-commerce. Sure. Thanks a lot for having me tonight. This has been fun. Happy to do it anytime. Thanks again. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. To help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2X your online retail business, hop over to 2xecommerce.com. It's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host, Kunle Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com.